Well, good morning, men. We'll go ahead and jump in this morning. I've got a lot of information, and uh, for the next couple, three weeks, what I've done was just kind of thinking about the counseling appointments, or I hate to call it counseling, mentoring, whatever you call it. Different ones come by the office and ask questions and are in situations, if you will. So uh, this is one that, that is close to my heart right now is, as we've been attempting to purchase a lot next to us and some other things going on. You know, you got to watch your finances really close and uh, very closely. So uh, got a, a little deal that I thought would help us as we kind of go through this and, and talk about, you know, marriages, the, the number one, the number one enemy to marriages is not affairs and all this other stuff out there. It actually deals with finances. And if we don't get our finances right, then it becomes very difficult for us to, uh, to honor the Lord in our walk. And it doesn't mean that everybody makes a lot of money. It means that uh, what we do make, we're responsible with. And so I'm going to be talking to you about uh, the balanced life and having balance in your finances in order to bring some harmony to your marriage, if you will, or maybe some harmony to your life and just ways of, of looking at that and going through it. You know, once or twice a year, I'd see my dad put on a suit and tie and he would, I mean, just be decked out. Sometimes he'd have a a cowboy hat on but uh, he would just just deck himself out and he would be headed any of you know where he was going he was going to the bank and it's the only time that that I ever saw my dad that I know of outside of a funeral possibly that he put a suit and tie on but but once a year because he was a farmer he had to go get his annual loan at the bank and so he would put on this suit and tie and dress real nice and many times more than once I'd ask him dad why do you wear a suit and tie to go to the bank and he'd say well son if you you don't want to look like you need the money when you go to borrow the money and so I've just always remembered that so he wore a suit and tie to look like he didn't need the money but he was going to have to go and get approved in order to farm another year and so for years uh, we lived that way and farming was uh we're here this year and next year we may be gone i can remember my parents in the 80s talking to my my sister and i about having to move to town because they didn't know if they were going to be able to hang on to the farm that year and anyway but it's neat because as the years progressed dad did better and accumulated some more leased country and and of course ran cattle and all kinds of things and i can remember the first year also that my dad no longer had to go to the bank to get a loan to farm and that was probably the best year he ever had farming and from that day forward he never went and I as far as I know he's never gone to the bank again as far as getting a loan to farm or ranch so I know this that it's possible for all of us we live in a day and time and in a society and a culture that tells us that we need to have anything at any time whatever is available is available to us to each and every one of us because we deserve we deserve we deserve the commercials you see out there are trying to convince us that we lack something in life if we don't own this particular thing in our life or if we don't have it financed in our life or if we don't carry a certain amount on credit card debt and that type of thing but I tell you if you're a pastor today you know you've sat with plenty of couples even if you're not a pastor that finances are are definitely an era that the enemy uses to break couples up so what happens is, is when our finances get out of whack, the balance in our life begins to get out of whack because then we're working for the man or we're actually working for the money, if you will, instead of telling the money to work for us. And there's a big difference here, guys. 
And so as we kind of jump into this, just uh, be with me because I'm going to be talking about having a balanced life, balanced in your finances and all. And I know as a pastor, I've gone from 1100 a month was my first job. And uh, well, I'll say that it was actually 600 and then went up when I when I first started pastoring at Happy. Uh, we they paid 1100 a month and I felt terrible for taking it because they scraped everything they could with the 22 that were still there and tried to figure out a way to pay me. And so, uh, and man, that, that makes a pastor feel real good about himself. Just kidding. All right. It was tough. But uh, I know that, that through the years that God has called us to, to live a balanced life. And as my children get older, one thing I have learned is they get a lot more expensive. I mean, uh, one of them wanted to try out for cheerleader this year. And um, I tried to fight that with everything I could fight. But her mama and me well we we were in discussion this morning before i got here um but it's 500 dollars just to be a cheerleader and so i said okay well if she wants to be a cheerleader she'll raise her 500 dollars. and her mother is she's 11 years old well anyway so we're still in that discussion right trying to trying to figure things out and balance life and uh uh and she's working at it she's raised over a hundred dollars just baking cookies and selling them so maybe maybe she'll get there but our kids learn from us and they and and they they watch and they watch what we do and they watch to see if our life is in balance or not and money when couples are fighting over money then they're they're demonstrating something in front of their children that is not healthy we're called to make disciples and you'll see that money has a lot to do with discipleship jesus said when he stated where your heart is there your treasure will be also he's making a statement to say pay attention to who has your heart and what has your heart when i was a kid in the in the 70s the late 70s there was a i remember because they kept running commercials on the walinda family i had to look this up because i couldn't remember the name of the family but the great walindas were families that that would do these balancing acts you've you've probably seen them on to you know going from tower to tower on a tight wire and they have the the bar and they're balancing well on this particular show this was live and this guy was way up in the air and i i looked this up online because i just remember him following falling and it happened in 1978 i was a little kid but i still remember watching him fall and he felt any any of you see that any of you remember that yeah some of you may have seen it and so he fell and basically what happened he lost his balance he was in Puerto Rico he was going between two buildings and he fell and he fell right on top of a car we have to watch how we live our life because God calls us to live it as a balanced life if we don't if we don't then we fall and no one wants to fall to live a balanced life the first thing you've got to have is a reference point if I were to ask you to balance one foot with your arms stretched out you wouldn't look at your hand what would you do you find a reference point okay I'm just helping some of you out all right some of you know this or you you wish you would have known this about balance when the cop was shining a light in your eye telling you to stand on one foot but right right you look forward you find a reference point and you balance you put your hands out and you balance so you've got to have a reference point right it's instinctive that's the proper point of reference none of you would instinctively look at one of your hands balance requires a singular point of focus the other thing in order to live a balanced life is you've got to have constant correction 
constant correction, modifications, tweaking. If I were to ask you to walk along a narrow plank, you would make constant adjust adjustments with your hands trying to, to correct yourself. When you lose balance one way, you've got to put more weight the other way. You know, this is what a good financial planner does. He modifies your portfolio to adjust to changes in the market in order to keep the portfolio what? Balanced. Balanced. And then the third thing I would say you got to have is you got to have a clear objective. A clear objective. Anytime you're balancing something, you have, you have answered the question, what am I trying to do? Right? Keep the end of the pole in the air. If you're balancing a, uh, uh, say you got a broom handle and you're trying to keep the broom up in the air and you're holding it. As a matter of fact, Wade, I had him sweeping the garage the other day and I walked in there and he's just trying to balance the broom. I said, it's hard to sweep when the broom's up there. But anyway, clear objective, right? Clear objective. You got to stay on the plank. Balance allows you to, to remain where you want to be. It allows you to progress where you want to be. So if I violate any of the laws of balance while, balance, by, while balancing something, look, something immediately happens. The pole falls down. But if you violate, watch this, if you violate the laws of balance in your finances, nothing happens immediately. And that's the reason we oftentimes don't take action to correct. If there were an, uh, an immediate consequence, we would make a course correction, right? If your nose grows while you tell a lie, what do you stop doing? Lying. Right? Any of you see Pinocchio? That one's for my kids. So here's the deal. Finances follow the law of harvest. And the law of harvest is simply this. You sow a seed, and there is a season where what happens? You sow a seed, there's a season of growth, right? And one day there'll be a season of harvest. It, it follows that law. You sow now, you reap later. And you should always reap later and greater. Now watch some statistics I pulled up. USA Today states that one-third of Americans are delinquent on debt. Now I'm not just talking about being in debt. They're delinquent. That means 33 and a third percent of us in this room are not just in debt, but possibly delinquent on that debt. 46% of Americans carry over a balance from month to month on their credit card. So almost 50% carry a balance from month to month. Americans are carrying around, this isn't, this, 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 uh, I pulled off some notes maybe two, three years ago, and this was an interesting find. Uh, just stay with me on this. I had to go back and find this. This is, because the first number here is not going to mean anything to you. Americans are carrying around $798 billion worth of debt, of credit card debt. All right. If you were alive in Jesus' day and spent $1 million every day until today, you would not reach $798 billion. So over 2,000 years spending a $1 million a day, you would not reach that number. And that's just the credit card debt. That's not mortgages and everything else out there. Mortgage debt is five times what it was 20 years ago. 70% of all new cars purchased are purchased with a loan. Student loan debt is almost $1 trillion. I don't know if I'd pay a university today. Anyway, never mind. I'd sure want to interview their, their teachers. If 85% of Americans claim to be Christians but live undisciplined lives in this area, it hurts our witness. 
That's just the bottom line. 85% of Americans claim to be Christians but live undisciplined lives in this area. It hurts our witness and our ministry opportunities. We definitely need discipleship in this area. I, I looked up a, a statistic look from, from notes that I took when I was preaching and pastoring in Wolforth in 2000 and let me see. In 2007, the church took in $15 trillion dollars. Enough to feed the world for a year. Did it do it? Absolutely not. Where is the money? Got to ask some questions, right? Working hard doesn't guarantee anything as it relates to the health of your balance sheet. You can work harder. You can work longer hours. But if you're undisciplined in this area, you still tend to get in trouble. So don't say things like it's not fair because you don't make as much money as someone else. Fair requires that somebody else take responsibility for my financial well-being. When I was 36 years old, uh, some years ago, I, I woke up one morning and said, you know what, I am tired of being flat broke. I am broke. At the end of the month, there's more month than there is money. And that's a problem. And so I decided I was going to do something about it. And I was going to leave ministry. And I was going to go and, and actually, uh, I was going to try to become a doctor. Because the doctor that I ran around with, we ran around in a brand new truck. And I was running cattle, he was running buffalo. And he was making more money on his buffalo by far than I was going in a hole with my cattle at the time. And so I decided, some of you may remember 2008, 2008 we had all the stock market crash, everything just blow the pot and and anyway during that time my, my feed bill about tripled or quadrupled in a period of three months and so I was watching this guy and I thought you know what I was a biology major shoot I know that stuff I surely I so I went and took the MCAT um that didn't go well I wasn't as smart as I thought I was and there was no university that was going to accept me into med school so then I had to think of another route, and what the Lord began to speak to my heart is, why don't you become responsible with it, with what you do make? And I was like, well, Lord, you know, I've got all these children. I, I mean, I'm a pastor, and he gave me some opportunities at that time. I started looking for opportunities. People started asking for me to come preach and Allison to come sing, and they would take up love offerings or something. It'd be just enough, but we were able to, uh, to, to move ahead in, in that way and kind of get back on our feet. You see, being out of balance financially does not necessarily create financial problems. The more you have, the easier it is sometimes to become, to get out of balance. But imbalance always creates stress. I want you to hear me. Imbalance always creates stress. Men, your kids carry their views of money into marriage and parenting. So are you setting them up for success? I've been proud of my son here lately I've noticed every week and he doesn't know that that I even watch he's never spoken to me about this a day in his life of course my son if you've been around him he doesn't say just a whole lot he's not a man of a lot of words like his daddy but uh he he uh the one thing I've noticed is over the last few weeks he's he's been paid for a couple of jobs and different things and and I notice he puts something in the basket every week and and that just tells me that he's been watching I've not preached to my children about giving 10%, but he's been paying attention. Your, your kids watch what you do. If you argue over money, 
because there's not enough well that's a lifestyle that says that you're possibly out of balance it seems like there's just not enough or if your wife is concerned about the future and thinks you should save more and you're concerned about your boat i have a boat all right i'm very concerned about it i enjoy it or if it's the other way around she wants a bigger house she wants a, a retirement that comes a little sooner right um consumer debt create creates a lack of balance an imbalance drives you to make financial decisions you hope your spouse or the irs never discover you ever done that one you ever bought a little something or took on a little debt and just thought well maybe she doesn't even know about that one i have it taken care i have it taken care of before she ever sees it so guys i've got three or four messages that i've created over this i don't know if it's going to be three or four yet but uh uh, they're all outlined. They're all ready to go and uh, for the most part. But over the next few weeks, I'm going to start unpacking some of this. And some of this is for me, not just you, okay? Unbalanced creates habits in one stage of life that have repercussions in the next. You know, it's one of those things that if we're unbalanced today, we're going to be even more unbalanced if we don't do something, if we don't constantly correct the direction we're headed and start looking at the destination have that singular point of focus so here we go you can't follow jesus and remain out of balance financially so i had to put a big idea to this and that's what i came up with it's very difficult to follow jesus in a proper way and remain out of balance financially i've been real impressed with a couple of of college kids that uh I've had the opportunity to speak into their lives over the last uh, few months. Uh, one, one little couple got married this weekend. I did their wedding and, and uh, amazed me. The little girl who got married uh, financed her way through college through hard work, through a disciplined lifestyle. Now she's 26. She already owns her, her house. Uh, I mean, it's amazing to me. I'm just sitting there going, wow, uh, you might need to counsel me. You know, I don't know. Uh, another young man that's a senior this year that goes to church here he's uh i see him at walmart all the time he's never taken a loan out for college and uh he's he's amazing he's a senior this year and and so i know some of the the youth some of the young men and and women of the church are getting a hold of some of this they're understanding that there's a relationship between the way you handle your money and your devotion to god Jesus had so much to say about money that you can't be a follower of Jesus and be irresponsible financially. Of all the things that Jesus talks about, he talks most about money. And this is interesting. Why does he talk about that? Because both God and money have the power to get you to serve them. I say this a lot. Jesus said more about money than heaven and hell combined. So let's look at what he says. Matthew 6, 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also as your money goes so goes your heart years ago uh i was in a, a men's group a lot smaller than this there were just three of us so i taught like for five minutes and then we just discussed but they were my accountability partners and back then we had these things called checkbooks and we would literally pull our checkbooks out every week and, ha and set them on the table and then each man would go through the other man's checkbook we had the carbon copies y'all remember those you write a check and then they, and we'd go through those and we would look to see if we were staying financially balanced i think of another man in my life uh 
when I was pastoring Wolferth and it really started taking off about my third or fourth year uh, a man came through the line and, and and it was interesting I shook his hand didn't know exactly who he was and the next day uh, Monday morning I get a phone call from another parishioner in the church and they said hey Curtis did you know that Shirley Garrison was at our church uh, this past Sunday and I said no that must have been the older fellow that came through he kind of stood in front of me for a minute uh, had a had his wife with him and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, we've got this million-dollar debt here. Do you know he could write a check for that? That puts a pastor in a, in a funny situation. And I said, okay, well, I don't care if he writes a check for it or not. I don't think it's his responsibility. He's been here one time. Not a part of us. And he said, no, no, you need to change your perspective on this. You need to be calling on him. The next week, this man comes back through the line. I don't say anything. I shake his hand, but I know who he is. Third week, he comes back through the line. Fourth week, he comes back through the line. Shake his hand. I'm calling him by name by this time. Finally, he stops in front of me, and he says, uh, um, Pastor Curtis, how come you haven't been by my house? And I sat there, and I said, have you been sick? And he said, no, sir. And I said, is your wife sick? And he said, well, yeah, you know, she hadn't been here the last couple of weeks. We were actually building an Alzheimer's unit and everything for her and I said well I said uh, brother Shirley I said listen I, I'm not here and I know you're not here necessarily to give your money and I'm not here to ask you for it so uh, unless you need me I won't be there and he, he left the next week I preached and he was back at church I didn't think I'd ever see him again and he came back and, and that week he came all the way up there and knelt down up at the altar along with several others at the altar call and he just began to pray and everything else and then he set up an appointment to come by and see me in my office he came by and saw me in my office and and we developed an incredible relationship and and I was actually standing next to his wife uh, when she passed away and uh, and then he remarried a couple years later and I did uh, his funeral and then her funeral so uh, I got to know this family very well now they never wrote me a check okay <laughs> They did write some checks to the church. Um, he told us what he could do and what he was willing to do. He didn't pay for the million-dollar debt. He just had some trust money that would uh, write a check, you know, financially. But if you know anything about Brother Shirley, he's one of the most giving men. And what used to frustrate me is when I would go over to visit him, very few times did I knock on his door that there was not someone there soliciting him for money. It was just, and I thought, man, I don't know that I would want that life. Everybody beating his door down. Here's the thing. He was responsible. He told me how he how he uh, became wealthy. When he got out of the army, he bought a uh, a quarter section of land. It was irrigated. He began to farm. He had a good year. His first year, he was able to buy the the quarter section next to it. Then he had a half section that went really well for him. Then he was able to buy into elevators. Some of you know this, right? Uh, and so he bought into the elevator business and started doing that. And and uh, it just went from one thing to the next to land to cattle to feed yards and and you can read about his story but he was faithful in the little and he became faithful with a lot there is constant constant tension here because uh, Jesus is saying where your heart is there your treasure will be also in Luke 16 13 no one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money or God and mammon God and things if you will and so what Jesus is saying is he's not saying it's not okay to have things. He's saying it's not okay if those things have you. That there's a difference. 
And Jesus' goal is not to get your money, it's to keep it from getting us. He doesn't want your stuff, he wants to keep your stuff from getting you. And when things are out of my control, it is, it is easy to surrender control to things that don't need to have control in my life. In other words, I can become distracted. So, here we go. What do we do about this? Well, just in an introductory lesson, I would say start watching where your money goes. Yesterday, I, I did my expense report here at the church, and one thing we have to do, uh, all the pastors here, is we have to be fisc fiscally responsible with our church cards. And in saying so, as we turn in our expense report, what has to go with it? The receipts. Every single receipt is turned in. If there's a couple of receipts that are missing, then a red flag goes up. A lot of questions are asked. Um, Brett will tell you um, that I watch the budget like an eagle. Everything here. But why? We have to. When I, when I first came to work here, uh, <laughs> I mean, we met in a house. Within the fourth month, there was no money to pay me. So uh, my savings is right here in this building. And so uh, seven, eight years ago, that's what we did. We planted a church. And I don't share that with you to have you pat me on the back. I'm saying that as it's grown, we are very blessed, but we need to be responsible with everything that comes in to this place. So we watch it. Every receipt is handed in and it's accounted for. So this week I would say, hey, watch your receipts. Here's a practical way to see where your money's going. Are you telling your money where to go or is it telling you where to go? And I know that there can be setbacks, guys. I understand that. When my son was born, he was born between two insurance policies and the Methodist Church. January 30th. I never will forget it. And my representative for the Methodist Conference said just stack your bills. Eventually one of the two is going to pay for it. Neither did. I lost my credit. I lost everything by stacking my bills. And then one day, guess who had to be responsible for them? Me. After the church was paying $1,300 a month on insurance. It's crazy. They don't want to pay. They want your money. That's what I learned from the whole thing. And they did not pay. I had to start settling. And so I get how you can be blindsided by some things and just have to start over. I completely understand that. But if you're starting over today, have your clear objective. Put the law of balance, the laws of balance. Include those in your life. Have that destination point that you still want to get to and keep moving towards it. Keep moving towards it. And one of the ways that you can do this is by documenting every single receipt. You don't get a receipt from the church. Look at your budget. Every year, I have the, the, my kids and my wife, I have them all turn in goals to me. So 2018, all their goals are, are in my home office. Uh, they're on three by five cards, and I have their goals so I can pray over their goals. And and, uh, you know, of course, Alice and I, we have some financial goals that we've never attained, and we don't know how we're going to be able to obtain those at this point in our life, but, but we do have some financial goals that are on there. And one thing, when I develop the budget for each year, the very first thing that I put in our budget 
is a tithe. We give 10% regardless on what we make. Amen. I'm not teaching you this so that you put more in the baskets on Sunday morning. I'm saying that this tells us that this is how we keep our life in balance by keeping the Lord as that focal point. And as we do that and we keep him first, that's that's one of the ways. The other way you have to do it is I think you got to watch where your money goes. And you'll find that some months, man, you just get blindsided. You got to put a transmission in the car. And you go, geez, that's where it went. But at least you begin to see where it goes. So this week, very simple, lay down the laws of the balanced life, fiscally being fiscally responsible. Uh, next week, we'll get more in depth into this very thing and more in scripture in this very thing. But keep a reference point, keep constant correction, correction clear objectives. This week, I would encourage you just as a basic application, keep your receipts at the end of the week Lay your receipts out and see where your money's going. See where it's going. Pretty easy. Simple message. Very practical message this morning. Don't even feel the Spirit of the Lord on me. All right, He is, though, because He wants us to learn how to be examples for a world that desperately needs a change. All right, Father God, I thank you for this time. Lord, as we walk through this together in the next uh, three weeks, Father, just uh, teach us how you would have us handle our finances and father what that should look like lord i know your word even takes it to the second generation so how do we impact that father not just my kids but my grandkids need to be blessed from decisions i make today how can that happen father help us to live a balanced life in jesus name amen